0: Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're going to be talking with Jennifer Palmieri. She was a top advisor to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and she was White House communications director under Barack Obama. And she's got a new book out called She Proclaims. It's a provocative read about how women need to, quote, declare their independence from men. No, it's not a man-hating screed, but a look at what comes next after the Women's March and Me Too, and it's illustrated with Jen's experiences with everyone in the political world from Monica Lewinsky to John and Elizabeth Edwards to Clinton and Obama. And of course, we talk about the politics of the day with Jen, like whether she thinks Joe Biden's stay-in-the-basement strategy is a good idea, and who she thinks will be vice president under Joe Biden. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Palmieri. Jennifer Palmieri, from your house in Maryland to mine in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political.
1: I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you, Joe.
0: Well, let's talk about your book, She Proclaims. Um, it is a unique format, I got to say. It's it's part memoir. It's part declaration of independence. It's, it's kind of a cultural roadmap, too. And it's patterned uh, on something called the declaration of sentiments which was a document created by suffragettes back in 1848 right
1: it's something i I, I had never
0: read this thing before and and it was really powerful for the time the language is intense especially i mean considering as you're right women had you know zero political power then why did that document resonate with you and how did you connect it to what's going on today
1: So it is, it, the, the declaration sentiment, it's like, it is an outrageous expression of female ambition. Like it is, it's outrageous, you know, for, for the time, um, in particular, I mean, these women had no rights. They had no reason to think anybody was going to care what they thought or that, that their words could have power. But what I found so inspiring about this is they believed in themselves anyway. And, um, I I wrote Dear Madam President uh, uh, like two plus years ago. And that was my reflections on sort of coming out of the 2016 campaign. I went into that thinking that it wasn't going to be hard to elect the first woman president. I have a diff- very different, more informed view about that now. And just sort of like, and just, just for people to consider... How much it matters the role models we have in our heads and that we don't know what a what a woman president looks like and And the ways that we still women still struggle and then what I wanted to do with this book is say, okay What do we do about it? And this year's 100th anniversary of suffrage and go back. Let's go back and see What how those women who had no power at all got to the point uh, the declaration of sentiments um, Uh, you know, as you noted, it was for part of the Seneca Falls Convention. It took 72 years until we got to 1920 for women to finally uh, gain suffrage. Um, And I was really taken with this one story about this woman, Marianne McClintock, who was an abolitionist. A lot of the suffragists, women rights advocates back in the 19th century started as abolitionists. Um, And she and her two adult daughters sat down at a table with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was a you know, known women's rights organizer at the time, um, and came up with the idea of modeling their declaration after the Declaration of Independence. And I just love the notion of these women sitting at their kitchen table, they had in in a farmhouse in upstate New York, no reason to think any that they that their words were going to matter, and they wrote it down anyway. And they had their convention, and they fought hard, and it took too long, but eventually they got it.
0: And you you take great pains in the book uh, to say that declaring independence for men is not this is not man hating this is not a separatist <laughs> uh, uh, colony you're trying to set up here but that the, you realized over your career and, and you've had very powerful positions in in government and in the campaigns that the game is rigged in, in men's favor uh, when you're in the it, yeah go ahead when,
1: yeah yeah. It um Yeah, it's not a declaration of war. Men are not my enemy. I have a great husband. I have had male mentors all my life. I have had always had men who wanted to support me and help me in my career. And still they rose faster. Right. right?
0: And you you say when uh, when you were in the Obama White House, you write that you felt that it was, uh, quote, self-defeating for women to conceive that this was a man's world, particularly after all we had worked so hard to fit into. But your feelings on that kind of evolved, right? You said the nice thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I didn't, I thought that it was self-defeating, you know, it's like, it's hard enough for women. Right. I understood, I guess I I got to the Obama white house as white house communications director. You're like, okay, I'm doing great in the world. And I'm not going to complain about it being a man's world because that's conceding that, that that's conceding that it's hard for me. And, you know, I thought it's hard enough for women. Why would we want to self-proclaim that we are outsiders here, right? And I thought it diminished the work that I did, that like, I wasn't really a player. I wasn't really in the game. And what I want women to know now is... <laughs> you should be proud to declare yourself a woman struggling to succeed in a man's world because it is hard and you have done it and now you have learned what you could here and you're moving on to someplace better. I think we internalize so much about how women are supposed to behave in the workplace and what we need to do to get ahead and we follow a man's path because we think that they that the way that they have always done it is going to eventually if we follow their path we're going to get the same kind of success they had right and that's why I say you have to declare your independence from it because what I have realized is following their path has turned into a woman's rut for a long time after suffrage, women made really steady progress for decades. And then we just started about three decades ago, started to sputter out. 1980, equal, we started making gains on the gender wage gap. Last 15 years, that's decelerated. We're not making as many gains as we used to. There's only Twenty-five percent of Congress is women. A <laughs> hundred years after getting the right to vote, there are only nine governors out of fifty. There is not a woman president. There are only seven percent of Fortune five hundred CEOs are women. And you're, in, like, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. And what I want women to know is a world in which you constantly are doubting yourself, a world in which women are consistently undervalued and grossly underrepresented in positions of power. And where you cannot rise as far as you want is not the world that's made for you. And you should leave behind the biases that you hold in your own head about how you're supposed to behave and start anew.
0: And you talk, uh, you, the, the book is peppered with the anecdotes about where you've uh, you know, learned the hard way. And sometimes uh, about, about, uh, you know, not, about trusting yourself and how sometimes when you did trust yourself, you had you felt better about yourself and succeeded. One uh one anecdote that that because this is all political, um that sure. stuck with me is uh, I love politics. Yeah, yes, I <laughs> I, I would have guessed that. Um, I love it. Is when you is when uh, you confronted John Edwards and then comforted his wife Elizabeth Edwards. And to remind the listeners who <laughs> may have, that seemed like five thousand years ago now. uh
1: God, it is. It is definitely a different universe. Yeah, my yeah. God.
0: John Edwards was the uh, Democratic uh, vice presidential nominee back in 2004, and he ran for president 2008. And Edwards was having an affair and had a child with another woman. Now, you worked for the Edwards uh, campaign uh, in the, back in the day, mm-hmm. and you are close with both of them. And you, at one point, were in the position of telling both Elizabeth and John that you did not believe him when he was saying that the child wasn't his. How did your truth telling and then sort of make you empowering for you? You said that. Was so a- it's a
1: really hard thing to do, you know, particularly when uh, you know you're you're and, and in politics you find yourself in this situation a lot because you become so close to the candidates and their family, and so you could get sort of this vice grip where I wanted to protect the Edwards family, particularly Elizabeth, who I was very close to, um, but not get wrapped up in. <laughs> John's lies which appeared to be lies to me and um you know how can you um and also uh I didn't work for John at the time so um he was not my boss he didn't have the kind of you know uh I was not making uh he was not responsible for my living right so it's not so I don't want to overstate how brave it is to stand up to him um but I had to tell him that I didn't believe him. And I thought that if he continued to do public interviews about this, um, that he was going to do more damage to himself and to his family. And I did find, um, it's a hard thing to say, right? It's a hard thing to say to somebody. There's a lot on the line. And, um, but I do find that, you know, (laughs) there's a reason why they say the truth sets you free. Uh, I'm big Jason is both and he's, oh, yes. You tell oh, yeah. 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 Tell the truth. Try tell the truth enough. It rhymes with everything Um, and that was sort of my first experience Um, or you know telling somebody a really hard truth in a very difficult situation um And it was what They both you know, it's what they both needed to hear. He he went on with it anyway um but uh, and I learned you know, another thing I learned in that is you know, how how a lot of times families have these have difficult situations and uh, there's a lot of avoidance and um, a lot of dread about having to confront a difficult conversation. And what I find is if you're there for somebody who's going through a hard time and you're straightforward with them um, and you listen to them, as I did with Elizabeth, that's enough. And it's a very valuable gift you can give your friend.
0: And dread is something you also write about, which is something, yeah. an emotion you you should get rid of that uh, women have an overabundance of.
1: It robs you of so much of life. I mean, I, there was times in my life where I spent, particularly when I had a sister who passed away from early onset Alzheimer's. And so there's just so much dread wrapped up in how she was gonna confront the disease, how we were going to handle it, how she was gonna feel when she got to different stages. And you know, one thing that loomed really large was when we were gonna have my one of my sisters traveled to Dallas and part of the reason was because she needed to take Dana's car away. And you're like, it's just, you know, how devastating that's gonna be. And what I find is Everyone's strong enough in the moment to get through any moment and we're all stronger than we know and I know now that I am equipped enough to deal with whatever life throws at me, not that life is perfect or easy, um, and to free myself from dread and, you know, I still haven't, you know, I still have things that concern me, but I don't let it rob me of every moment, um, and, uh, you know, maybe you have to get to be my age to know that each of us is as is, is strong as we need to be. And it's something that I want women to know. You, you don't have to wrap yourself up in that kind of anxiety. You can, it is in your power to free yourself.
0: And you and I are, uh, are of the same vintage. We'll leave it at that. And we're in our is you a
1: class. Of na- are you class of 1984?
0: I would, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, actually a little bit, a little bit older, a couple of years older, 83, 83. Okay. 83, okay. 83. okay. Um, oh. oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we, we, this is you've evolved on this back in 98 uh, when President Clinton's uh, had an affair with the White House intern, Monica Linsui, that Lewinsky, that was the national abstention. You blamed yourself for that, even though you had nothing really to do with it, because you hired Lewinsky way back in the day and it took you a while to get over that.
1: Yeah, it's just you know you set into motion. What it it was such a I mean that was a haven't you know that was a mind blowing experience, right? (laughs) Um, Being involved in something that led to an impeachment of the United States, and it's it's you know it's this thought of I set this in motion, um, therefore I'm somehow responsible. Um, I think women can internalize this as, you know, in different ways, like, this happened on my watch, therefore it's my fault, this happened when I was around, or there's a problem, and women make, I think women particularly in the absence of having real power, right, Um, over the course of history, I'm talking about the long arc of history, um, I think we had this sense of like, I have to make everything better and smooth things over and take on responsibility. That's not really yours. And that's what I, you know, that's what I felt in that moment.
0: We'll have more of our conversation with Jennifer Palmieri after this short break. And now back to our conversation with Jennifer Palmieri. Also speaking of age, uh about, uh, several years ago, you, you were speaking to someone who was a woman who was in her mid fifties and, and she told you to get out of this town, Washington, DC, and start your own consulting gig. How did, how did that shape you in terms of, uh, you know, that, that's really, what does that say about women? You're like, it's almost like, uh, it's, well, it is like Hollywood after you're over 50, you're, 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 yeah. you're worth nothing to us. What, what, how did that shape? What, yeah. What
1: it know? just, it really chilled me because really since it was a woman that, um, was really successful and I had a lot of respect for, and had always given me advice through the years. And, you know, this is the first time she's telling me something that's, that's telling me I got a shelf life you know and so it concerned me but even in that moment even in that very moment where I was both chilled but I was like I that is not going to be me I just I didn't know what I was going to do you know she's like if you don't have a What she had said to me is you need to leave your job. You need to start your own PR firm. Cause if you don't do that while you're in your forties, you know, by the time you're 50, it's too late and people won't hire you. And I just knew, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was in my fifties, but I just knew like, I'm, that's not, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to do that. And I went back and considered sort of other advice that I've gotten from girlfriends along the way, like, be wary of this person, she's not a sister, or here's what you need to do. Um, when you see, you know, here's how you need to manage the guys in the meeting, so that they'll listen to you. And it's just like, oh, the ways that we are constantly accommodating ourselves, trying to retrofit ourselves to fit in, that just can't be right. You know, I just felt in my gut, that can't be right. And, you know, it's part of uh, well, somewhat like, I don't want to overstate, but like a mini awakening that led me to, uh, to write this. Cause it's, you know, a a place where you feel like you, and I think this is why we've sputtered out. I think this is why women, um, aren't making the kind of progress that they have is that, For a while, following the rules in a man's world and how women should behave and what you need to do to fit in, that worked and it was good. And I learned a lot from it. But at some point, what happened was we stopped from growing to perpetuating the kind of, you know, to perpetuating the very power systems that block women. It's like we made the world run well. For men, and that is why now I think women really have to take a different approach. The most important thing to do is support other women. I think a what really keeps the cap on women from, and this is true for not just women. This is true for all people of color, anybody. Um, you know, all the people who, with the founding of the country, were disenfranchised from having rights. Um, from getting real power is not banding together. Um, and you can't, you have to advocate, women have to advocate for themselves. If you're a white woman, you have to advocate for people of color. It's really important that you do that because they're further marginalized than you even in the workplace. Um, and we can't buy into the notion that we have for a long time that success for women is a finite resource, that there's, uh, that only so many people can succeed and we are in competition with each other. That's what keeps the lid on like blowing through and women really reaching true equity. Um, because at the root of that, you're saying, I don't actually belong here, right? That's what, that's what's, that's what that belief is. That's what you're buying into. And I think that, you know, if I had to say the book in one word, it's one, we excuse me, one sentence, it's support of the women.
0: And you, you touched a moment, a moment ago on the sort of the intersectionality of, uh, of what you were talking about. You, recently you wrote in Vanity Fair that quote, white women have not been good allies to black Americans. This is a legacy we must confront, including the troubling historic dynamic between the anti-racist movement and the women's suffrage movement. You've uh, done a lot of research, of course, your book on on the suffrage movement. Um, how how can white women uh, be good allies uh, right now at this moment uh, of of uh, of uh, racial uh, reckoning and and uh, hopefully reconstruction? And I re- reconstruction in a good way, not not like the bad way we did it last time.
1: Right, not like the way it happened <laughs> yeah. in the nineteenth yeah. century. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing is to listen, you know, um, and lift up black voices. The other, I think it is important to understand um, the history of, uh, you know, of, 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 of white women. I think, um, obviously I wrote a book about breaking out of the patriarchy. I want everyone to do that. But I do also recognize that for white women, the patriarchy has sheltered us in some ways, you know, um, we don't have to worry and we're not, we're, we don't have the concerns about uh police that a black man or a black woman is going to have. Um, white men have traditionally protected us. The white women have, you know, the, it was a white woman who falsely accused a man of raping her that started the Tulsa massacre. White woman who falsely accused Emmett Till that led to his murder. And you it's a, it's in, and I think, um, you know women feel a lot of responsibility for things they shouldn't and so we it it, it 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 provokes a lot of anxiety to own to own these awful acts but you have to understand that that they happened and it's why um you know sometimes uh people of color can be questioned whether women are 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 gonna be sincere allies And then I think you have to. You have to. You know, it's great to vote. It's great to protest, and it's great to post um, things on Instagram. (laughs) What are you doing in your own life? What happens at the workplace? Do you advocate for like? You know, do you advocate for uh, your uh, colleagues that are black or other people of color? Do you encourage your your company to hire more? Do you do that in your own? in your own life, do you push back when there's a uh, when there's a black woman candidate for a job and people say eh, she just doesn't seem like the right fit? <laughs> of course, she doesn't seem like the right fit. <laughs> that job is the long line of you know professions that started hundreds of years ago that were built by men for men, and they and they and they fit in better. But she's going to, maybe she'll do the job better. Maybe it'll be a little different. You know, I don't think anybody looks at the world today and says, well, we have it all figured out, right? Nobody thinks that. Um, So you need more perspectives, more people at the table. Um, And I think white women have to be that advocate. Um, And you got to advocate for yourself as well, because if you don't, if you settle for less, it doesn't stop with you. That impacts, that means other women aren't going to get as much. That means other, um, you know, that means people of color may not uh, also get their due because you're like keeping a lid on things.
0: Speaking of uh, white women, uh, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump last time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, It was almost a yeah, spit I, take I, there I, like, for I you, Jen. I, <laughs> I would say every single <laughs> black friend of mine does not hesitate to raise this in almost every conversation we have. Okay.
0: How does, do you see that happening again? And why do you, if, if not, uh, why, why do you, why is that not going to happen again?
1: I, I suspect it won't happen again. I suspect that number will be lower. It'll still be uh, on, you know, it'll still be higher than I like. Um, But I do think that, you know, you've seen, I mean, you know, you just see like with, with polling with results from the 2018 midterms that a lot of white women are leaving the Republican party or at least voting for Democrats. And, um, you know, but white women aren't a monolith. No, you know, no demographic is. And some of them are more conservative than I am. Some of them just have different views. Um, some of them, uh, you know, and, and the thing with, and, in, in, in you know, it, in as much as bias, gender bias, and, uh, you know, my revulsion at Trump uh, playing into someone's decision about who they're gonna vote for president, um, we all hold these biases in our heads. It's not as if women don't too, um, you know, and I don't, I don't fault anyone. This is how, this is sort of the world we've inherited. The question now is like, what are you gonna do about it? But, um, you know, we all uh, sort of tolerate behaviors and biases because we've internalized them, we've had them in our heads our whole lives. And that includes a lot of women too
0: uh a couple more uh, political questions uh, biden's a strategy right now to be in the basement uh you are a veteran of a couple of uh, presidential campaigns is that the right thing should he be should he be it's in the fine. basement right now
1: uh, yeah it's fine he's fine i think it's fine i mean um you know i'm not suggesting that he is uh, for sure going to win i believe he's going to win um but you know what they need to do. He needs to um, provide a contrast. He um, he's got to meet some he's got to meet some bars in terms of putting forward you know what he's going to uh, what he's going to do. You know where how is going to take where is he going to take the country as president? Um, uh, I believe today is the day they're doing a big climate change event um, and doing that. And you know for most of the country. Being responsible, being a responsible leader about how you're taking care of yourself and how you're exposing other people to is a good thing, you know, just because I think a lot of times, Democrats in particular, we always think the other team is smarter than us. And so it's like, if Trump is being outrageous, the Democratic nominee should be outrageous, too. And I just don't think that, you know, I I don't think that works. And The those those would be the
0: bedwetters, the infamous bedwetters of, so uh, yes, 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 I yes.
1: I Bay Area resident, uh, yes, yes, penned by Bay Area resident David Plot. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes. bedwetters. Yes. Oh, oh. Uh,
0: there's a lot of soaked mattresses around here. Um, yeah, oh,
1: yeah, well, the Bay Area is filled oh, with bed. Oh, oh weird. Yeah, this I is bedwetters. Um, yeah. but the other thing that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this the thing that why I believe biden is more durable you know another democratic nominee may have may be w- could be in trouble in this situation a way that biden's not because you want people to see you you want people to get to know you and the country feels like they know but show biden already mm-hmm. right so it, yeah. he doesn't have that bar and then the other thing is that um you know what the primaries proved to me is the biden campaign is right <laughs> That there is a well of support for him, and there are people who really wanted him as the alternative to Trump. And even though um, you know he's not the sharpest candidate, he's not the freshest face for sure. Uh, people turned out, voted for him, huge numbers, huge record-setting numbers, and that tells me that there is like a real reservoir of support for him.
0: Um, the uh, we're uh, guaranteed to have a woman as on the ticket uh, this year on the Democratic side. Uh, first of all, do do you have a favorite there or not? Before I ask you.
1: Um, I don't have a favorite. Do I have someone who I think it's going to be?
0: Who do you think it's going to be? And who do you think would be best?
1: I think it's going to be Kamala Harris.
0: Okay. And do you think she would be best?
1: I think she would be great. I'm not going to say she, I think she would be best. Do you think I'm new? <laughs> I thought you, maybe your
0: skills had dulled after a couple yeah, couple years okay, off the track. Yeah. All right, all right.
1: <laughs> She'd be great. Okay, okay. okay but, uh, here's, but a, here's, hey. a,
0: here's another quick. But you're a California, or you're part. You California is one of your right. stops. You you lived in Aptos right. for many years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was your middle middle school, high school, correct? Around high school, high school, high school.
1: school. Yeah, Aptos High School. Yeah. There you
0: go. And um, so uh, now, if, if Kamala Harris is the VP pick, you know that California will be on the ballot too. We've never had a Democrat on the national ticket. And that, that will be uh, don't you think that's gonna be like a stand-in for every stereotype and reality about the uh, crazy California? What forms do you see that taking and how should they and how should the campaign respond?
1: So here's here's this is why I think Harris is a good choice and you know why I you know, I don't I'm just guessing, like I don't know, but I'm just guess obviously <laughs> I'm just guessing. Um I think that first of all, I think it should be a black woman, you know it's just think to have gone through what we've been through in the spring and summer and um, And not have a black woman um, and not appreciate how important representation is on the Democratic ticket I think is a mistake um, and um, She has um, she has a uh, a lot of experience as an elected official representing a lot of different people. And that is important, right? She has represented a very diverse, from the time she was attorney general to United States Senator, big numbers of people who voted for her diverse population. Um, And that means you're accountable to voters. And that's like a big, that's a really, I think that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal to Biden. You know what that feels like, you know what that responsibility is. Um, And she's battle tested that is so important to me she went through the fire on a presidential campaign sure she didn't win but she more than held her own she performed well she stood up under fire and this woman whoever she is is going to go through hellfire mm. <laughs> because you know trump has not gotten a ton of traction going after biden but he you know so but he loves going after women and so i think that you're going to see the race change quite a bit once that happens, once we have um, a woman on the, on the chicken. And I have a lot of faith in Kamala Harris's ability to uh, withstand that kind of hellfire and also just dish out um, a really good critique of both Trump and Pence. I mean, we've all seen her in those, um, you know, in the debates, but in, um, in her, intelligence committee hearings just really good at that um, and, and even though I'm sure like will they try to make california an issue probably whatever they're going to do that to no matter who it is it is a it is such a bad idea to pick your to pick your running mate based off of how you think the other person's going to attack them because trump is going to attack and lie about whoever it is it doesn't matter right no one's safe from that so pick the person who's the best fighter, who's the strongest, who has the most experience and representing a lot of people, being accountable to voters, knows what that likes, and it's going to be a good partner for you.
0: What, one more. I mean, uh, the, the big word in uh, 2020 and uh, women, we had several women, a record number of women on the Democratic side uh, on the, uh, on the big stage. But electability was the was the big question, and as we talked about in this podcast multiple times, read about the Chronicle studies, uh, Brenda Crazy Carter from the Reflective Democracy Program, we've had her on said white men have no electability advantage at all. So, how do you, given that there were that electability was a big issue, uh, at least a, a, a perceived issue, and having a woman on the ticket, what how do you it's what's the what are your concerns there? Do you think that that's going to be that will uh, weigh Biden down at all, or how does that how does that play into what we're going to see for the next three months, four months?
1: When people say what should women do about the electability issue, I say win. They should win. <laughs> until <laughs> until you win, you're going to continue to get that question um and you know the woman that you cited is correct that once women make it to the once they are the party's nominee um and you know elections across the board not just presidential obviously but they win um you got to get to be the nominee (laughs) that's the that can be um that can be the hard part it is i think what's been great um And it's just, you know, it's another, it's just another hurdle we got to get through. But, um, you know, it's just like Amy Klobuchar quoting somebody else, I forget who, but she's, you know, um, she's like, the obstacle is the path and we'll find our way around it, right? That's what women do every day. And so I think that what's been helpful in the terms of the running mate this time around is that because Biden said at the very beginning, it's going to be a woman, we haven't had that whole tiresome (laughs) <laughs> conversation about oh it can't be a woman you know she's going right. to she's not she's going to drive a ticket down um and then i think when it you know when this woman is announced like i said before she'll come from a lot of fire from the uh from the right but you know i think that on the left people have agreed like yeah it's got to be a woman we got to have that kind of uh of that kind of of representation and she you know whoever it is she'll be good um and we'll uh, I, and I am excited to see that Pence debate. Oh, yes, God. Oh,
0: God. Jennifer Palmieri. The book is called "She Proclaims." I will now be giving my dog-eared copy to my daughters and wife oh. and and other dudes who nice. might invite me. Yeah, there's might... a good
1: there's a good chapter in there about men being good partners. Yes, right? that
0: we 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 didn't get to that, but yes, there is. I I took some tips from that. Uh, uh, so thank you very much for being on. It's all political.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks, Joe.
0: I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Jennifer Palmieri for being here today and for Karen Creighton for producing today's episode. Our fabulous theme music, by the way, is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter who you are trying to declare independence from, it's all political.